If any company thought about the customer journey from one end to the other, creating awareness all the way through driving loyalty with customers, you could say the chief customer officer has responsibility for the entire customer journey. This is Inside HubSpot, where we take you behind the scenes to uncover the tactics and strategies that grew HubSpot to a $2 billion company with more than 180,000 customers globally. I'm your host, Kat Warboys. And throughout the show, we'll hear from HubSpotters, experts in their field, on how we pioneered the inbound methodology, built an award-winning culture, uncovered new channels for growth, created a blog with more than 11 million subscribers, and much, much more. Whether you're a startup or a scale-up, a marketer or the CEO, you'll learn from our triumphs and our missteps that can be applied to help you grow better. The role of the Chief Customer Officer is one that is becoming more prevalent in the ANZ region, and for good reason, as companies increasingly obsess over their customers and turn their attention to metrics like retention and loyalty, this is a role we expect to see more of in coming years. In this episode, we're chatting to our Chief Customer Officer, Rob Gillio, to find out exactly what solving for the customer really means at HubSpot. I'm going to be asking Rob to share how he solved for alignment between our cross-functional teams, including who is actually responsible for the customer experience, and what he thinks about competing customer priorities, and finally, how Rob implemented the CCOM, or customer-centric operating model, as we call it, at HubSpot. Rob, I am so delighted to have you here today. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks you so much, Kat. I'm glad to be here. We're very excited to have you here. Uh, you joined us in, what, March of 2022? That's right. Yeah. And we are very lucky to have you. A quick look at your LinkedIn profile is a pretty impressive demonstration of over 20 years of industry experience leading and executing both global marketing and sales initiatives. Can you give us a bit of a run through on that background? Yeah. Wow. When you put it those in those terms, it makes me feel like, <laughs> makes me feel old. But um, no, I don't feel old. I, uh, I think the way I always describe it is it's it's a career divided up into three parts. It might not be exactly right, but it's essentially about a third of my career was in consumer packaged goods, which is the world of super analytic, non-directly connected to consumer business. So you sell through third parties and you sell largely commodities that you brand. Um, brands like Tide Laundry Detergent uh, would be a good example uh, or in the U.S., you might know Hidden Valley Ranch Salad Dressing. That's another one. And then a third of my career was in retail. And retail was less analytic at the time and more instinct and gut. Think of it like uh, the land of merchants, making good buying decisions based on fashion and trend. And um, that was the place of a very direct relationship with the consumer, with the end buyer. And then the last third has really been working in technology. And technology is a, a perfect blend of things that you um, do directly with purchasers, and then things you oftentimes do through teams or third parties. And so um, I've been lucky. I feel like it's been a, a really great career. I've learned a lot in every single experience. And I just feel uh, I'm very thankful to be here at HubSpot now. Tell us a little bit about you outside of work. Um, you came to the Sydney office recently, so I got to spend some time with you and learn about your love for the outdoors and and I learned about Chip as well. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk about Chip. Chip is my dog. Um, <laughs> it's our family dog. He is about 14 years old, which is pretty old for dogs. Um, but he doesn't know that he's that old. And so he acts like he's about two. Uh, he loves the water. 
Um, he loves to just, his move is he goes into like the shore break at the ocean and lays down just about like chest deep and he'll just lay in the water like some sort of beach tourist. That's what we joke about. And then he gets very sandy and makes a mess everywhere, but we love him. And then, yeah, in terms of, of me, I guess it's actually, a, he's a perfect dog for our family because we love things related to the water. Yeah, we love outdoors, of course, but our family loves to be on all kinds of water, rivers, lakes. We like to be on frozen water. We like to ski. Um, and uh, all of us love to be in the ocean. Uh, I personally love to surf. I don't do it as often as I'd like. But as you know, when I come down to Australia, I do try to find a way to sneak out for a morning or evening surf when I'm there. You do. What's your favorite go-to spot when you're here? Oh, my. Um, I have a very good friend. Um, this is someone that I met when I worked at Adobe who lives at Bronte Beach. And so uh, I'd say that's probably the go-to because he lives walking distance just across the street and has a lot of surfboards and loves to surf. And we share the love of the water. And so I would say every time I'm down there, he's just an incredible host. Um, and I think that's not unique to him. That's I find that to be a very Australian characteristic. Yeah, I think you're spot on with that. And it definitely yeah. helps to have to have people, you know, in a in a great spot like Bronte. <laughs> yeah, he's really very fortunate to live where he lives. Yeah, I'm sure Chip would love to join you on these uh, on these surfing trips in Australia. Uh, and I know <laughs> oh you'll feel gosh. my pain on this. I got a golden retriever puppy not so long ago because, you know, trying to match the dog to the lifestyle. And she's terrified of the water. I cannot get oh, near no. it. <laughs> so oh, no. my dreams of paddleboarding with my puppy have just been absolutely dashed. <laughs> well, maybe the good news is um, you have to worry less about grooming. Because <laughs> a golden true. retriever in the water can be really messy. Yes. I mean, I was prepared for it. I just, you know, really wanted that, you know, ocean loving dog. But, you know, it's, it's yeah. early days for her. Yeah, we're, we're, we're still trying it. <laughs> There's time. There's time. Well, I mean, as an example, uh, Chip used to get carsick. And every time he went in the car, he got carsick. And that took a couple of years until he finally didn't get carsick. And okay, I don't know if that's like one. a normal thing for dogs, but there's hope. Dogs, dogs mature and change. Maybe that's the lesson. I'm going to go with that. <laughs> go with it. Something I'd love to ask people uh, in our central teams that have spent a bit of time in this region, which, you know, when I learned when you were the CMO at DocuSign, you actually spent quite a bit of time in JPAC and working with the team in Australia. I always love to ask people, you know, did you notice any core differences in our markets other than, of course, our amazing coffee? your your flat whites um you know you can get a flat white anywhere in the world now and it used to be when i first went to australia which was in 2010 i think or maybe late 2009 um i'd never even heard of a flat white (laughs) so no i don't want to talk about the flat whites but i do love them it's a region that when i was at adobe i was there probably three or four times a year so i was maybe there three or four weeks a year for 11 years. So that's quite a few trips. Um, I added it up at one time. I've been to Japan like 40 something times, 40 weeks. I've been to India multiple times. I've been in different parts of Indonesia, Singapore, Australia. I guess the answer to the question, if I was um, more specific about it, is that I would highlight about why I love the region so much is it's incredibly diverse from country to country, from Location to location within the countries, it's incredibly diverse. 
There's a variety of languages. It's one of the most populated regions in the world, if not the most populated region in the world, if you include China. Um, it's mobile first. It's very digital. It's a youthful region. I think the average ages um, in most countries in that region are younger than the average in the world. And that just creates a very vibrant kind of environment, um, one that is conducive for a digital business. And so I've been lucky to be in digital businesses for the last, whatever, 15-ish years. And so I love it for that reason. I love it culturally. I like to uh, experiment with foods. I like different cultures. Um, I like to meet new people. So it really, I mean, for me, it's exciting. Uh, I could imagine living in probably any one of four or five different countries in JPAC and being really happy. So maybe like someday, if somebody wants me to come work there, I'll I'll move down there. Well, we'll take you. We'll, we'll have you okay. here in Sydney. <laughs> Super. I'll do, I mean, I'll do anything. Maybe I could be your assistant or something. I'd be happy with that. Wow. Rob Gilio is my assistant. There we go. That would be career, career heightened. <laughs> um, I'm very glad, Rob, that you agreed to join us on the, on the podcast. Not that we had to twist your arm or anything. You were, you very um, happily signed up, but um, I think, you know, we're at this very exciting time in Australia and New Zealand for the role of the chief customer officer. We've been watching this space with interest for a little while now, and there were certainly a few early adopters that have really put this role on the map. Zero's Rachel Powell, for example. Uh, Qantas has certainly had a history of CCO roles alongside other really well-known brands in the region, brands like the Iconic, Maya, Osgrid, but even more recently, Coles and IAG just recently introduced the CCO role for the first time. So there's definitely a lot of momentum building. I'd love if you could give us from, you know, your perspective, uh, having come into this role in, you know, recent times, a quick history lesson of how you've seen this role evolve, uh, how it's come to be and, and where you think it's going. I mean, it's a really interesting topic. And I think if you looked at it too narrowly, again, sort of glad you're asking about the history, if you looked at it too narrowly, you might say like, oh, well, this thing just kind of came out of nowhere and never existed ever before. But it certainly didn't. If you rewind the clock a little bit, what you see in a lot of businesses, not just tech businesses, but you see president roles. And in many cases, in a lot of industries, a president has revenue responsibility, but the responsibility of the expense structure to get to that revenue, which oftentimes means operations, which sometimes means marketing. Um, sometimes it even means the technology associated with the go-to-market motion. In a lot of companies, tech in particular, the early movement was chief operating officers. So you saw COOs having the same basic remit as what a chief customer officer has today. And I think the cool part of what is modern about this role is in renaming essentially what was the same job classification, what we've said is the customer is the most important thing. And um, so I understand it, HubSpot, when they first created this role, um, and our current CEO, Yamini, took that role, it was the first time the company had had that role. And they did it specifically because they wanted to have a role that had responsibility directly for the customer. And I just think that's like, attitudinally, philosophically, culturally, it's just such a great choice. And I think most of the peers that I talk to who are in C, um, chief customer officer roles, their companies have a similar philosophy. Like, hey, we all think the customer is our North Star. And so we create job titles and then functions around those job titles that say to the organization and say to our customers, 
this really matters. This is the most important stuff. And that's definitely true at HubSpot. Like I can remember when I was interviewing, um, one of the things that was really clear was amongst other things, we want you to have responsibility for business results. But at the end of the day, we really expect you to be a major voice on behalf of the customer. And that means current customers, that means past customers, ones that have lapsed or gone to other products. And it means for prospects, ones that might be customers soon. And so I take that responsibility pretty seriously, as you know, as I think most, if not all, HubSpotters do. Um, I mean, it's in our mission, um, help customers grow better. But I, th- I think it's great. And I think it's a, it's a trend that you're going to see continue, not decline. Yeah, there's there's a lot of power in a name, right? Um, and as you say, like this may not necessarily be a new role per se, but it's had many guises, it's had many different names that it's been operating under. Um, so I guess to just to crystallize a little bit more in people's minds, what is the role of a chief customer officer? Um, and you know, we can think about how we do it maybe at HubSpot. Um, but yeah, what would typically be in this remit under the role? Yeah, well, functionally, it has included marketing, so marketing functions, which Again, if we start to use frameworks to think about the work, you could use HubSpot's flywheel to do that, which is attract, all the attract work. It includes the engage work, which would include things like sales. Um, and that includes like pre-sales, post-sales, sales solutions, and solution consultants, sales engineers, et cetera. And it, and it includes in the HubSpot flywheel language, delight, which really includes post-purchase. So think of it as like, customer support, services, and customer success. And then in HubSpot, it all includes basically the functions that keep the wheel moving, which are like RevOps, data, and systems. But that's a pretty HubSpot-like specific way to think about it. Another way to think about it is if any company thought about the customer journey from one end to the other, creating awareness all the way through driving loyalty with customers, you could say the chief customer officer has responsibility for the entire customer journey. And so that means in most cases, they don't own product because product gets, gets layered onto the customer journey. They don't have responsibility for finance or accounting because those are functions that help support business decision-making and reporting. Uh, they don't own human resources or people resources because those are functions that, it, that ensure that we have the right kind of culture and the right people and um, manage the right staffing levels. And oftentimes don't own like core technology. So when you think about like a CIO kind of role or CTO role, typically doesn't live there. So maybe another way of thinking about it is it's the it's the one place you can go, that chief customer officer, to drive results related to new customers and current customers. Yeah. Like the metric, and I'll just share this transparently, the metric we use at HubSpot is net new ARR. And so to unpack that a little bit, um, the chief customer officer, if they have responsibility for net new ARR, that means they have responsibility for new business, which would be new ARR. Typically, people call it gross gross new, which is a weird title, but it basically means before you've netted out discounts and those kinds of things. And then owns, and a lot of people call these things different things, retention, which is retention ARR. Sometimes people take the inverse of it and they call it churn, the churn ARR. So think of it as all the new customers you bring in, all the ones you lose, that gets you to net new ARR. Sometimes people just talk about it as the install base. Like, what is your install base? So that's the total book of customers times whatever they're paying you. So there's a lot of ways to slice and dice it. 
at the end of the day, it is the role that has responsibility for customers and thus the name. Perfect run through. Uh, and I actually wanted to ask you, you know, with so many different teams under your remit, you know, there would be a lot of competing metrics uh, to care about. Um, and, you know, you've kind of touched on that. The North Star really is a business is net new ARR. But how how do we make sure when we're focused on net new ARR that we are still thinking about the customer and doing the right thing by the customer? Like, you know, what what does the CCO bring to that metric? Yeah, that's awesome. We think about it and talk about it in HubSpot, as you know, as a couple of classifications of metrics. We use the we use the phrases input metrics and output metrics, and we talk about input metrics as things that will get you to typically like the highest order reported external metric, what you might call an output metric. So let me give you an example. We use web traffic and signups and customers converting to get to ARR. And so input metrics would be things like a level of awareness, a level of traffic, a level of a free trial signup or a paid signup, the transaction itself, and then ultimately that gets you to ARR. So that's the way we think about it. Um, The same thing is true like a little bit further down the customer journey loyalty for us is expressed in two ways. One of them is it's expressed in product usage. So we can see loyalty to the product by looking at the product usage. But more importantly, um, we can see loyalty as the willingness to renew. And sometimes that includes the willingness to grow. So customers are getting so much value, they want to include more people in the organization using the product. So that could be expressed as growth. So again, an input metric might be great product adoption, good product usage, a wide range of feature usage. Those are input metrics. And then the output metric might be renewal or it might be customer ARR growth. But again, I think we, you know, we always anchor on this framework of trying to think about the customer journey. And we really do try to think about it one customer at a time. Yeah. Yeah. No, I really, I I love the framing of the the input output metrics. I think that crystallizes it really, really well. Um, something, you know, we're, we're kind of touching on there is, is how we do try and have the customer at the forefront at HubSpot. And I, I haven't been here for seven years, think we do this really, really well. But as you mentioned, you took the role on from Yamini, who went on to be our CEO. And you, I mean, many of our listeners as well probably had heard of our culture code. Damesh has become pretty famous for putting our culture code out there. And a really big value um, within that is this idea of solve for the customer. Uh, I was curious, you know, when you, first of all, when you decided to take the role, you were CMO at the time, like what intrigued you about moving into the CCO uh, space? Uh, but secondly, what was your impression coming in, like uh, as an organization, you know, we, you could argue being so customer centric, we were a little bit late with putting a role like this in place. Um, but how did you see us when you joined really, like did those, did those values really echo in, in your experience as you came into the company and how did that impact the way you thought about the role and what you were going to bring to it? Yeah. Well, there's a lot of, there's a lot of topics in that one question. Um, <laughs> maybe I'll start with why did I think this would be such a great role? Um, and why did it make sense for me to leave what was a really fun job being the CMO of, of DocuSign with a really great team? I think the easy answer was, it goes back to the point you made about the customers. I had for the longest time been essentially our customer. I'd been a marketer, I'd been a sales leader, I'd had support teams, and I really understood the work that our customer was engaged in 
domestically in the US, but also internationally because I had teams that were around the world. I knew the things that really mattered to our customer. And when I started to hear about the way HubSpot was organized, the North Star of helping customers grow better, when I spent more time um, with our product, I just got so excited that I felt at some level the product was not fully understood by enough of of the potential customers that if I could be a part of telling the story about how these products could help marketers and sales leaders and chief customer officers and success leaders and support leaders like get the most out of growing their business by using HubSpot as a tool, I just felt really well suited to do that. Like I was in their mind. Like and I love like one of my favorite things is getting on the phone with customers who are in roles that are similar to mine or <clears throat> maybe like they report to somebody who is similar to the role I do now. And one of the things I like to do is I like I like to mentor and coach anyway. That's just kind of like a personal interest. And so I find my customer conversations feel more like uh, an engaging conversation about how do they do their work. And then HubSpot just becomes a part of that, not because that's the main thing, but like being successful as a marketer, being successful as a sales leader is something I'm, I'm interested in. So HubSpot made sense because the role was focused on customers. It was a very mature organization for one our size. And I just, I felt like it was a really good fit for a way that I could add value. Yeah, definitely. And what's really exciting for me as a marketer is to see that role progression, to see that opportunity into a role like that. And so I think, again, being a role in its current name, uh, something that's quite new, people are curious about it. What would you recommend to people? You know, you said you touch on coaching for somebody that wants to move into that role. Like what's the right blend of experience when you have so many different teams under your remit? What does that look like? Well, I think if you want to have a role like chief customer officer, and we agree that generically speaking, it's going to have multiple functions. Like it's going to, in most cases, it's going to have sales and it's going to have marketing in the remit. It's going to have something related to post-sale, whether it's consulting, services, whatever. I think people who aspire to those jobs should go out of their way to work in multiple functions. Like they should definitely find a way to spend time in sales. Maybe it doesn't mean they need to be a growth um, specialist or an account executive. Maybe it just means they're maybe in an ops role, or maybe it means they're in a strategy role, or maybe they're in a post-sales role. If you're in sales, spend time in marketing or spend time in, in, um, in ops so that you become more rounded in the multifunctional interplay. Because I think if you're just in one function, it's hard to think about the, where the linkages are and you, it's easy to become pretty pillar focused, pretty silo focused. And you ultimately lose track of the main thing, the main point, which is customers travel down a path. Like again, HubSpot calls it the flywheel. Customers move through a flywheel you have to understand how those pieces all fit together to be really successful, I think. Yeah. That's like in a macro. In a micro, I think in today's world, if you want to be a good um, chief customer officer, you better be pretty balanced between qualitative and quantitative. Mm. Like have a good gut for what works and what doesn't work in messaging and communicating with customers. Whether you're in sales and you're doing it one-to-one -one with customers or you're in marketing and you're doing it to audiences be good analytically. So you, you need to be good quantitatively to understand what the data is telling you and not be afraid of it because that's really the future of, of, at least in our world, that's the future of business. And then I think in modern parlance, 
you better be comfortable with AI. <laughs> we talk a lot about that in HubSpot. Um, mm-hmm. And these tools are going to transform how we do work. So it's important to be at the forefront. I love that. When we talk about to our customers, you know, customer experience and, you know, it's a, it's a big topic. It's, it's certainly not a new topic. But one of the kind of common questions throughout time I found has always been, well, who owns it, marketing or sales? Um, and who can really orchestrate and get the alignment across those teams, which is why I think this role was so powerful. And having seen and been at HubSpot when we introduced the CCO role, it was just the first thing that really fell into place. Everybody on the same page, it really felt like people were aligned. So from your perspective, I'd love to hear like, how does that play out at HubSpot? How do you see that in your role? How do you represent all of those teams with that customer in mind? How do you create the alignment and get everybody on the same page towards the same goals? Maybe I should ask you, Kat. You're, you're right here. Um, maybe I'll give you the answer and then you tell me what you think, if that makes sense. Um, I'll, call, I'll call you out if I disagree. Yeah, please do. That's good. So, I, th- I mean, it really, for me, relates to having a common framework for how we think about helping customers. And when I think about moving customers through this customer journey, again, whether you call it the flywheel, whether you call it a data-driven operating model or a customer-centric operating model or a customer journey or customer experience, I think as soon as you start to think of it as customers move from being unaware of your product to being loyal to your product because they're getting a lot of value out of using it, you realize that it's not just about one part of that journey. It's about the entire journey. And so I think teams can come aligned um, to really bigger objectives, like a certain level of loyalty that comes with a great experience or a certain level of product usage that comes from helping customers understand what they need, helping them find the right product, helping them onboard to the right product, and then start using it. And again, none of those things are functional silos. That's not about like, oh, I'm going to go sell to this customer. It's about I'm helping customers find the right product to solve the problems, because ultimately, I'm trying to build loyalty. So I think that's what we try to do. I don't know. What do you think, Kat? Is that Does that resonate? It does. It does. Um, I think on a like practical level, the way I see that rolled out is actually with something that you brought into the role when you joined, which is your CECOM model. Um, And I think that has helped a lot of what you said actually come into effect. So with that, I might ask you to tell us a little bit about what is the CECOM model? What does it look like? What does it aim to achieve? And how is it executed? You bet. CECOM is a fancy four-letter acronym. It stands for customer-centric, meaning we are incredibly focused on the customer, as we talked before, operating model. And what, what that really means for us is it's a way of looking at these journey steps analytically using KPIs and then qualitatively creating programs and processes around improving them. So For us, the CECOM, the customer-centric operating model, is both KPIs as well as initiatives and work surrounding improvements to the customer journey. So practically, what actually is CECOM? Is it a dashboard? Is it a meeting? What happens? Yeah, I love that question. That's great because I think um, it could be confusing. Is it just this acronym and some framework? Uh, And the answer is no. It's actually a lot of things. It is uh, a dashboard um, that has what we would consider the highest order KPIs for each of the journey steps, and then indicator KPIs that live underneath it. So let's use awareness as an example. Awareness is one of the metrics that we use for for early CECOM stage. 
but it's more than that. It's like, what's the aided? What's the unaided? What is it geographically? What is it by customer segment? So A, it starts with, yes, it's data. Um, but it's not just data. It's actually a work um, process we've built around it, which is we do group meetings once a month. We're moving them to a higher frequency because the data is available at a you know daily, weekly level. Um, it's related to targets. We set targets for things like awareness. We set the targets for things like free trials. And we rally ourselves around tracking the data and the numbers and the output, but also talking about initiatives that we can put in place to be better, to continue to improve them. With the, with the ultimate goal, again, like the, our North Star is customers are growing using our product, which is a way of getting loyalty. So I guess the easy answer is it's all those things. It's a dashboard, it's KPIs, it's targets, and then it's work process. Love that. And if you can share with us, it would be wonderful to understand maybe one insight that emerged when you started um, operating with this model um, and maybe an initiative that we've set up as a result of that as well. Kat, that's a great question. I want to over-deliver. I want to give you two examples. One example is in the sales world. One of the things that we were noticing was that we were essentially focused on leads and we use a we use a term called qualified lead and then we were focused on deals and we know that there's a lot of steps in the customer journey that live between a lead and a deal and that relates to what does a customer need to know about our product and how do they need to evaluate it which is in part a sales experience but it's also a marketing experience. And HubSpot has always called it smarketing. I think we've talked about that probably at some other forum. But we didn't have really great data living underneath there. And so we had a hard time understanding, are we helping enough customers move through this decision process? And so CCOM helped us expose some of that. And as you know, we've implemented something called Allbound, which is not cold prospecting by any means. It's actually an outbound marketing effort that's coupled with sales to help customers get the information they need to move them through a buying process. So that's one place that it's really come to life. And then the other is we've spent a lot more time looking at what happens after a customer purchases. So there is an activation phase, which is the customer getting the product and then sort of launching it. And then there's an adoption phase, which is actually the, the customer using the product more deeply and then there's product usage, like deep product usage, like the number of features that you used, um, how successful customers are with those features. And I think exposing that data to our teams activated our teams in big ways. Our customer success team is far more proactive and more directed with the customer engagements that they have with the intent of essentially helping customers get the most value out of the, out of the product as possible. And rather than having to talk to the customer and ask them how they're feeling about the product usage. We look at the product data itself and it helps guide us. So those are two good examples. And there's like small examples all over the place in probably every function where we're just looking at the customer journey with a more acute lens. And the whole goal is to help customers. And so we, we find opportunities everywhere. I love those examples. I think they're great. And I've heard you talk about this a few times, but it, I think this is the first time I've walked away with the understanding that actually what comes out of this is 
awareness of what we don't know and how that's hurting us in solving for the customer. You know, you think, okay, you've probably got some metrics you talk about them. They're the same ones every time. It seems to be far more about uncovering what we still don't know about our customer. And that's where the wealth of the goodness is, the insights and the things that we can actually positively impact. Absolutely. Like you nailed it. I, I, I should have said what you just said. You're the summary. You're the, you're the perfect summary. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, that's exactly what it is. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. It's the first time I kind of like have taken that away from hearing you talk about it. It's it's really interesting. To close out, I'm really hoping uh, by this point that people are excited. Maybe not necessarily that they have to get a CCO role, but definitely that they could be a lot more customer centric in whatever name or role that comes in as. But I guess for people that may still need a little bit more convincing, why are we seeing the role of the CCO come up now so much? You know, as you said, it's not, it's kind of been around for a while, but now we're actually calling it customer officer. Why is this happening at this particular point in time? And why should brands be really paying attention to this trend? There's probably a lot of reasons, but I think perhaps one of the biggest is data. We as as business people, but in particular as marketers, have data about our customer in so many more ways with what with much higher frequency and better telemetry than we've ever had. And so if anything, the customer is far less anonymous to us. And as a result, we have responsibility to be really customer centric. And if you are customer centric, you start to think about ways to help your customer more. Maybe, you know, if you rewound the clock, there was points where, you know, you might get little signals of customer touch points, but it was really hard to make sense of it. Whereas today, when you think about like HubSpot as an example, like think of our journey analytics tool that that shows businesses like literally every customer touch point. And you can do analysis at the, at the single customer level to understand how are they engaging with your brand. It used to be at some level, you did advertising and you didn't know who saw it. And you used to do public relations and have no idea who engaged with it. And you might have somebody in a store talking to a customer and that experience never got logged. Whereas today, all those digital signals come together, focused around the customer. And I think it's our responsibility as business people, but marketers in particular, to pay attention to those signals and glean as much information as we can because that's the way we continually get better. That was fantastic. Thank you for sharing your insights with us today, Rob. Um, when are you going to come out and see us again? We'd love love to get you back out here and bring Chip, if it's even possible. I'm waiting, <laughs> I'm waiting for airlines to make it easier to bring your dogs. You know, it's mm. such an effort. It's going to happen. Airlines are going to disrupt everything and people are going to be able to bring their dogs more easily. Someday. I know Chip would love it. He would love to go to Australia. Um, but thank you for the invitation. I'll, I'll hold you to that. Um, I'll have to save up my pennies because those flat whites have gotten very expensive down there. But uh, someday when I have, then I'll come down for a visit, probably in the fall. I'll shout you a coffee, Rob. How about that? <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you, Rob. Yeah, have a great day. I don't know about you, but I'm excited to see how the role of the Chief Customer Officer continues to evolve in ANZ. And I really hope that Rob's CCOM model has given you food for thought for how you could rally around your customers to improve their experience. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and check out all resources in our show notes or head to hubspot.com forward slash inside hubspot. We'll catch you on the next episode.